Welcome once again to At Home in your hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. Each time we gather, we take a look at a certain aspect of the hymnal. We look at Lutheran Service Book, the current hymnal in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but really what we're talking about is a practice and theology of Lutheran worship. We want folks to be at home in their hymnal, in the corporate worship setting of the church, in uh, private devotions, family devotions, and uh, The part of our program that we're going to be talking about today really does have great overlap with regard to what goes on in the corporate worship service and what goes on in the individual life and piety of a Christian. Today we want to talk about prayer in general. We want to talk about the general prayer or prayers of the church and we, uh, we'll see if we have time to uh, talk a little bit about offering and uh, the offertory. That's what you heard as you uh, entered into our program today. Pastor Moline, welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Thank you so much. It's good to be here today. Today we want to talk about a theology of prayer and how prayer fits into the divine service. We're looking at divine service setting one, page 151 and following in the worship service. In our last episode, we talked about the sermon. We talked about what to look for in a sermon, uh, the content of a sermon, how pastors pick what they're going to preach on, everything flowing from the Word of God. And then in the divine service, when the sermon is over, if the creed is before the sermon, we immediately go into the prayers. If the creed is not before the sermon, we do the creed right after the sermon. We've talked about creed and the importance of creed already. And then the next thing, it says, the prayer of the church. Following the prayers, the people may greet one another and all that. So there's really no directive with regard to prayer in general. It just says prayer of the church. It's kind of assumed. So, Pastor, what is prayer and why do Christians pray? Well, the way to define prayer is to call it, and this is the truth, to call it the voice of faith. Uh, In other words, um, I'm married to my wife, and because we're married, we talk to one another and uh, we have conversations about what's going on, what things we need to accomplish as a couple, uh, how we're going to make ends meet. We talk about, uh, you know, if we're not feeling well, things like that. We talk about uh, our kids. What are we going to do to help them and teach them and things like that. We have that conversation because we're in a marriage. In the same way, because we're in a relationship with God, and that comes about because we have faith given to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Because we're in that relationship with God, uh, we have a conversation with Him. And so that's called called prayer. We tell him what's going on. We tell him what things we appreciate about what he's done for us. We tell him what things we're in need of, at least according to our own uh, worldly perceptions. And we remind him of the things that he's promised to do for us. Um, Forgive us all of our sins, grant us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, and to provide for us uh, day in and day out in this world. And so that voice of faith that has that conversation with God, that's what prayer is. Prayer is not, uh, how can I gain in this world? You know, uh, dear Lord, help me win the lottery. Uh, Prayer is not, uh, here's what I want, uh, even uh, if it's not according to your word. Uh, Prayer is not uh, asking God to do something that's outside of his identity. Prayer is the voice of faith that says, this is who you are. These are the things you've told me I can ask for and talk to you about. And so that's what I'm doing. 
Okay, so prayer is the voice of faith. Uh, I want to I want to continue this discussion with regard to what prayer is and why do we pray. Kind of a general theology of prayer to get us started here. First of all, uh, with regard to pray, do I have to pray? Is it a command? Is it a law? Um, you know, you use this conversation kind of talk when. Uh, when relationships are strained, the first thing that goes away, oftentimes, is communication. And so, um, is prayer a law? Well, I'm, I'm always hesitant to say uh, it's a law in the sense of, you know, you must pray or you won't be saved. Uh, that's, pray, that's pray continuously, pray without ceasing. This, um, we have Bible passages that would tend to take us in that direction. Ex- and those Bible passages are exactly correct. The thing I don't want anybody listening to the program is think that I am saved through my prayers. That's not the case. You're saved only through Jesus. Now, because you're saved through Jesus, uh, just like with all the other laws that are in the Scripture, you do them because you have faith. And the good tree bears good fruit. A Christian prays because Scripture teaches they ought to. Uh, Scripture prays because Christ has saved them. A Christian prays uh, because it's the, the good and salutary thing to do in the life of faith. And so Scripture says we should pray but it also teaches at the same time we're not saved by our prayers. And so we have that tension there that kind of we're on the tipping point, to use the uh, term used in the media so often. Um, We're on the the tipping point there. We're supposed to pray, uh, yet our salvation is found only in Jesus. And I guess that's how I'd answer that. Okay, the the common terminology in the church, and especially in the Lutheran church, is means of grace. Means of grace— the way that God brings, delivers, channels his grace to us, word and sacrament. Correct. The word preached, taught, sung, the word, the word, the word, and the sacraments, the sacraments of holy baptism, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper. So based on everything you've said, prayer is not a means of grace. Is that uh, yes or no, correct or not? Correct, and and that's... That's what I wanted to emphasize because many, many, many people think that it is. You ask a person, how are you saved? By prayer. And that's and, not the case. And I've noticed that a lot of non-sacramental churches, oftentimes because the old Adam or the old Eve craves sacraments, they crave something tangible, what they have replaced the sacraments with is prayer. And you even hear some Lutherans talk this way. Uh, God works on us through word and prayer. Um, Word and prayer, the most important things in the whole world. And so I think some Lutherans are almost um, afraid of this topic, afraid to encourage people to pray, lest they are given the impression that prayer somehow is a means of grace. And so what we want to do is we want to be truly biblical Christians, which means we want to be Lutheran. Mm -hmm. And uh, with regard to a theology of prayer, this is something we are doing in joyous response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are doing this in joyous response, flowing from our faith, that to me, Pastor, that sounds an awful lot like a good work. It it is a so good work. So is prayer a good work? 
I would say it is a good work, um, and that it is a good work that we as Christians do. The voice of faith that speaks because we are alive in Christ and talks to God about the things God desires us to talk to him about. Is um, Okay, in that vein then, I'm, I'm thinking of Article 6 of the Augsburg Confession, the new obedience. In the first five articles, we have uh, who God is, we have who we are, sinners, uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ, Article 3, justification, Article 5, the deliverance of the delivery, uh, the office of the ministry in Article 5, and then Article 6 is the new obedience. Is this where we would place prayer then as a part of the new obedience with regard to... um, I believe, and faith speaks, and so this is prayer. That's exactly where we would place prayer, and in fact, I think the exact words of that article kind of explain the idea we're trying to get across here very clearly. Uh, Lutherans teach, this faith is bound to produce good fruits, and that it is necessary to do good works commanded by God because of God's will, but that we should not rely on those works to merit justification before God. For remission of sins and justification is apprehended by faith, as also the voice of Christ attests. And uh, this is also then taught by the fathers. The, the article goes on, we're not saved by doing good works, but because we are saved, it's necessary that we produce good fruits. And this, uh, I know... And that's uh, the tension. That's the tension, and that's the difficulty in talking about it. It's both things at the same time. Okay, so... Um in, uh, in the time that we have here, I think at this point in time, it would be wise to point out that if prayer is not a means of grace, if prayer is not a good work, then anything that smacks of a praying Jesus into your heart, a believer's prayer, making a decision for Christ, this would fall into the category of works righteousness and trying to use a good work or an act of new obedience to create or sustain faith. And so that is contrary to God's word. It's also contrary to the Lutheran confessions. Is that a, is that a fair uh, natural progression from everything we've talked about, Pastor? That's exactly where I want to go, and that's why I wanted to say, too, um, we cannot be saved by our prayers. Um, the, the voice of faith comes about because we have been saved, but it cannot make God happy with us. It cannot please God. It cannot uh, earn our salvation, uh, all those things in terms of salvation. We, we do it because God has done all that is necessary to save us uh, in our in our lives. And so responsively, we respond with prayer. Okay, so everything we've talked about here is in regard to prayer in general, kind of a general overarching theology of prayer. We have in the corporate worship service, and that's what we're talking about here, is we're working our way through divine thir- service setting one, and it applies to all the divine services. We have a spot in the worship service that says the general prayer. From uh, Pastor Fram's uh, Bible study, the prayer of the church is the key intercessory prayer of the congregation in common with the whole church that is offered after hearing the word of God proclaimed. 
God has spoken to us, and now the church replies on behalf of the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Pastor, the question that I want to have you ponder as we go into break and that I want to pick up in our next segment is with regard to prayer. One, is prayer an act of worship? And two, what is the difference between individual prayers and the corporate prayer of the church? I want people to ponder that, and I want you to ponder that. We're going to address those when we come back from our break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at the divine service, specifically prayer. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lincoln. That's where this program originates from, KNNALP 95.7. Check out our archives, our website, the places where you can uh, hear this program and similar programs on the uh, various podcast places that are out there. Thecross957.org. Give us some feedback. We've been, for the last, uh, oh, many, many episodes, working our way slowly and surely through Divine Service Setting 1. Here on episode 24, we're looking at prayer. Uh, I left Pastor Moline with a couple of uh, questions before we went into the break. And before I uh, turn that over to him, the... uh, one of the wonderful features in Lutheran Service Book is oftentimes there are little Bible verses that are in brackets off to the side to show the scriptural example or directive for why we are doing what we are doing. And for the prayer of the church, there's no directions. It just says 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. to That reads as follows. First of all, then, I urge that supplications prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. Pastor Paul writing to Pastor Timothy about the importance of prayer. I urge you that prayers be made. And then he talks kind of like a general prayer, uh, almost a shotgun kind of approach. Uh, The first question that I left you with, Pastor, was, is prayer an act of worship? I would say that it is, so long as we understand what worship really is. Worship is not, uh, and we've talked about this on this program several times, worship is not our uh, 
raising ourselves up to God. It's not our um, earning points with God or earning our salvation from God. Worship is uh, primarily, as we say in German, Gottesdienst or God service to us. God gives and gives and gives, and then we respond, and then he gives more and we respond, and God gives and we respond. And so if we understand worship in that way, we can definitely see prayer as worship. In fact, I think that's the best way uh, to see prayer in this in this regard, talking about it as a voice of faith. God gives us his word, and he says in his word, these are the things you ought to pray for, and these are the things I'm promising to do for you, and uh, this is what I have done for you in Jesus. And when he gives us his word in that way, uh, our prayer then is response, and it says, here's what you've said in your word, Lord. Here's um, what we're going to ask you because you told us to, Lord. Here's what's going on in my life, Lord, and here's how you've promised to help me out with it in your word. And so always prayer is responsive to God giving his gifts and his word. And and that's why, too, then, uh, prayer follows right at this point in the uh, divine service. It's response to having heard God's word in the sermon. We're responding then by God asking God uh, for the things that he promises to give in his word. And you, you described beautifully that rhythm and flow that we've been talking about all the way throughout the liturgical worship that we find in the Lutheran Church. And God speaks, we listen, we believe, we respond. And this back and forth, this rhythm and flow is throughout the entire divine service. And prayer, speaking back to God after we have just heard the word of God in the sermon and the readings is a beautiful example of that. And it's worth pointing out then, if we go to the catechism uh, in the daily prayers section, we see this happening as well and understand that this voice of faith that prayer is, that worship of prayer, is not just something that is confined to what we do on Sunday morning, but rather Luther says, when we get up in the morning, we make the sign of the Holy Cross. We say in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, we uh, repeat the creed and the Lord's prayer, and then we can add more prayers to that, and even have the morning and evening prayer. And then we go off to work singing a hymn like that of the Ten Commandments or whatever your devotion may suggest. In other words, worship is something that we do day in and day out in terms of prayer and the creed and the Lord's Prayer and even being in God's Word on a regular basis. And so we can't just limit all this to Sunday mornings in that way. Yeah, a, a 60 or 75 or 90 minutes once a week, uh, that is not worship. And no. properly understood, the entire life of a Christian is a worship response back to the love that God has given us. Now, I think it would be good at this point in time, I brought out that question, uh, is prayer an act of worship? Back in the olden days, in the catechism, we used to have a question like that in our synodical catechism that said, prayer is prayer an act of worship, and that it was yes. Um, amazingly, since the early 90s in the catechetical reviews and revisions that have come out, the synodical catechism in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod has omitted that question. And I think the reason, and again, not, lo not looking for some big, broad conspiracy theory here, but I think the reason why that question was changed or removed is because of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Wisconsin Synod, in the, even, uh, the 
ELS, what is that, Evangelical Lutheran Synod, and some of the uh, smaller Lutheran synods that have a teaching called prayer fellowship, and that uh, altar and pulpit fellowship extends from the altar and pulpit into every aspect of the life, even a common table prayer. So you would not be able to have a common table prayer with someone who did not have the same confession as you. We do not ascribe to that in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but we still say that prayer is an act of worship. And I think it's very, very unfortunate that that question was uh, removed from our synodical catechism. I'm on a personal mission and a personal goal to... uh, get that back in at some point in time, but it doesn't stop us from teaching the truth with regard to this. Now, one of the other questions, Pastor, that I uh, uh, left you with before the last break, we need to get at that before our entire segment is gone here, (laughs) but um, to talk about the difference between the corporate prayers of the church and the individual prayers of the Christian. Now, in one respect, it seems pretty clear. One you do with a group of people at church, the other one you do by yourself or with your family. Based on what you just said with regard to an understanding of what prayer is as an act of worship, it would seem to me that there's no difference. And, um, you know, Lutherans always want to have it both ways, you know, and then ride that paradox all the way through. I want to share with you some words from uh, Dr. Kenneth Corby, now in Heavenly Glory, in his awesome book, Prayer, Pre-Reformation to the Present, um, Notre Dame Press, 1977, page 131. Dr. Corby says, Liturgical prayer originates with the faithful reception of the liturgos, the intercessor, Jesus Christ. As Savior, he comes to serve. Faith is to be served by him, and thus united with him in the great exchange he effects. As priest, he prays on our behalf. To be united with him is to be made a priestly people in the reciprocity, I always have trouble, uh, reciprocity, thank you, of praying with him. Jesus Christ is not a priest for himself but for the glory of the Father's will to grace us with the blessings of eternal life. Believing is receiving this life, living only on him. Hence, as priestly people, we are not priests for ourselves. The formation of the inner man in prayer is the formation of an intercessor in union with the intercessor. Whether in private or public, such prayer is in community. It is churchly and that we are called into fellowship with Jesus Christ and through him with the church. What's your reaction to that quote from Dr. Corby? Well, Kenneth Corby is a very bright man. There's a lot there in that particular quote. We could probably talk for a long time about it. I think what is when we pray, whether it be corporately or individually, what we're really doing is uh, following after the example of Christ who oftentimes prayed. And, in fact, I would say... Um, as long as we understand it correctly, still prays for us now in the sense that he still declares to God on our behalf day in and day out that um, don't hold Clint's sins against him, don't hold Moline's sins against him, Uh, my blood covers them over. Um, And so 
when we pray, that's the foundation then, that our forgiveness is in Christ and that he's also praying for us. And then by extension, we can also pray for all the other things in our life. And so corporate prayer, we have one person that's doing that on behalf of the whole body. Uh, and in some respects, it's partly for good order. Can you imagine if everybody during the prayer section just started shouting out what they needed to have prayed for? Uh, it would be a longer service. Uh, and it would be kind of chaotic in that point in the service. Rather, we do it orderly for the sake of the whole body so that we can um, make sure everybody's included, but yet in an orderly way. In the same way, then, we're free to do the same sort of thing in our own private life, to bring before God petitions uh, what's going on that he's promised to provide for us. And then we also ought to, in our individual prayer, pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever we know that's going on in their life. And so husbands pray for your wives, wives pray for your husbands, uh, parents pray for your kids. And this builds then back into the table of duties that's in the catechism and what the responsibilities in our different vocations are as well. I think one of the things that stuck out in, to me in that Corby quote is that uh, making that connection with Christ. Christ is our great high priest. One of the jobs of the priest is to prayer, uh, pray and offer sacrifices. Christ does not pray for himself. He prays for us. Yes. We, as the part of the priesthood, if you want to use that term, I hate it, priesthood of all believers, the royal priesthood, connected to Christ, following in Christ's train. Our primary thing is not to pray for self, but it is to pray for others. And in that respect, really, we are church when we think not so much of ourself, but when we think of others. When we come to church and we have that general prayer time after the sermon, you've probably noticed this, Pastor. This is a time when some people are shuffling through their purse or their billfold, getting their offering ready. This is a time when people go out and go to the bathroom or if they have to have a quick smoke or whatever. This is usually a time that people don't take all that seriously. I want to ask you when we come back from break, why is it that we are so cavalier with regard to the prayers? And sometimes, while we almost get angry when the prayers take too long, why are we praying for all these people? Can't they pray at home? You know that. You've seen that. You've sensed it. What is it with Lutherans and maybe Christians in general and this almost seeming obsession with not wanting to pray corporately. Hang on to that question. We're going to ponder that for the break. We'll be back in just a short time. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, divine service, prayer. Don't change that dial. at noon on KNNA.
I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Man, is that what we're doing when we pray? Paying our vows, paying our dues. Um, you know, some of the uh, some of the biggest criticism I've had over the last 30 years in the church has been with regard, believe it or not, to prayer. I remember one time in the uh, in the prayers of the church, somebody came up to me before the service and said, oh, pastor, it's really dry. And uh, this was in farming community before my Lincoln days. Uh, it's really dry. We need rain. Would you pray for rain? So um, in the general prayer, I gave an impassioned plea that the Lord would re- know our need, remember our need, and send rain. And after the church service, I had one of our members, a farmer, a hay farmer who was waiting for me and dressed me down like I haven't been dressed down in a long time. What are you doing praying for rain? I got hay down. The last thing I want is rain. I want sunshine. So I learned to pray for seasonable Seasonable weather. weather. Seasonable weather. We'll put it in the Lord's hands. That's in North Dakota. The farmers were the same way, and uh, they always wanted rain. And then if it did rain, they wanted Stop praying for a while, and it was always particular, and so we prayed for seasonable weather too. They they had good fun with it, at least up in North Dakota. So. Yeah, well, that particular day wasn't much fun for me. It was a, a big lesson for the young, the young preacher, the young pastor, the young prayer. Um, I've also uh, remember one time being dressed down after church, and uh, this will tell you a little bit the smart aleck nature in me. Afterwards, uh, one of the members cornered me, and he said, Pastor. I think the prayers in church today were longer than the sermon. And he was trying to make a point that we were praying too much in church. And uh, I looked at him, and the smart aleck in me came out and said, uh, well, if you would pray at home once in a while on your own, we wouldn't have to pray so much here in church. And um, he thought about that for a second and said, you win, you win. (laughs) Um, and I didn't want to win, uh, but uh, I left you a question as we went into break. Why is it that people sometimes get agitated, uncomfortable, maybe even downright angry with the prayers of the church, if the prayers go too long, if the uh, prayers are maybe too many details about too many people that they don't know. Uh, Pastor, what are your thoughts on that, uh, both practical and theological, and what are we to do in the church? What's right? What's proper? Well, our, our old sinful nature always wants church to be on our terms, to be the length that we want, to be about the things that we want, um, and even uh, in regard to prayer, to be prayers about people we know and uh, even our own things that are uh, our concerns and worries. And so when that gets to be too long or too arduous or too, uh, uh, you know, too difficult for us to stay focused in, our sinful nature wants to complain. While we think that might be the problem with the church service, the truth is that's actually revealing to us our own sin even greater and the need for our own Savior who says, um, uh, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us in uh, teaching us how to pray. Not just to pray for ourselves, but also to pray for all those other people that are out there. And so 
we ought to repent of that and realize how much our neighbor needs our help, how much the people around us need compassion from God just like we do. Uh, that's the reason that prayers take a long time, is that there's so many people who have so many needs because our world is so sinful. I know sometimes, too, people get... Um, bogged down because when we pray we stand and that takes a long time uh, to pray and they get tired of standing and so um, you know we do have the freedom to sit down if you're unable to stand for that long uh, many churches also used to have kneelers and I think that's a good practice as well to be on our knees uh, as we talk to God to show a position of humility and humbleness if we were to ask a king uh, to have mercy upon us uh, instead of taking away our land or something we'd be on our knees before the king how much more holy and gracious and loving and uh, uh, powerful is God. Uh, so if we go on to our knees before him, that's probably a good practice as well. But we have freedom to sit, to stand, to kneel as we ask God the things that uh, we ask him in our prayers. You uh, you brought this up, and before we, before we go on with some of the other questions I have here, just a very practical thing. Um, is it a... Roman Catholic thing to kneel in prayer? Is that why most Lutheran churches don't have kneelers in them? And uh, is it inappropriate for a Lutheran to assume the posture of kneeling in prayer? Is that some crypto-Roman thing? Uh, and uh, just, just some general, I, I don't think you and I have ever had this conversation before, so just we'll do it on the air. Yeah, that's good, right? Um, no, uh, kneeling for prayer is not a Catholic thing. Uh, it is a Christian thing, and there's even examples of that uh, in the scriptures themselves where people kneel down to pray uh, before before God. In fact, uh, we also have examples of when people talk to Jesus and they realize who he is, that he's God in the flesh. They fall down uh, in prayer uh, and in humility before him upon their faces. And so uh, it's not a Roman Catholic thing to kneel uh, for prayer. And yet, at the same time, we cannot make a law or a rule about it. We have freedom in that regard before our God. So while it does teach humility and humbleness before God, it is not required for prayer. Once again, we cannot put requirements upon it because it's an act that flows out of faith, rather one that earns salvation. Now, um, why don't we have kneelers in many Lutheran churches? My... Here we're going to see what you think here. My my take on it is when we're remodeling churches and we're building churches uh, and you look at the cost to build a sanctuary, you have a huge amount of cost already in just having regular pews or even chairs that uh, lock together or whatever, however you're going to do it. It costs more. On top of that already large expense to have the kneelers that are added into that. And so uh, perhaps not having kneelers shows how uh, how thrifty we are. Is that a positive way to put it? Um, well, you're putting the best construction on it. I was just going to say Lutherans are tight to a fault, uh, squeaky tight, 
And uh, I think sometimes we glom onto that excuse, oh, oh, that's a Roman Catholic thing, so we can save some money and not have to do it. There are several Lutheran churches that have kneelers in them. You drive down yep. the road to, uh, I believe it's St. Paul Lutheran Church in Beatrice, Nebraska. They have kneelers. There are kneelers on the pews at both seminaries, both the conservative seminary in Fort Wayne and the more progressive seminary. Yeah, this is not a theological thing. I think for most people, they either don't think about it, and if they do think about it, it's a financial issue. So I, yep. I think it's, I think that's where it is. There is nothing distinctively Roman Catholic about kneeling and a kneeler in prayer or anything like that. However, I will say Roman Catholics, uh, by and large, have not spared the expense. They have put kneelers in the vast majority of their churches so that people have that option to kneel, to pray. And uh, we, we need to give credit where credit is to do. Right. That's a good thing. It gives them the freedom to make that decision. Gives them the and freedom. And the personal piety, whatever that is, to uh, act that out, whereas we do not. Amen. Um, so. Amen. All right. Now, with regard to the corporate prayers of the church pastor, uh, Christians are often private people. Lutheran Christians are like private people on steroids. Nobody wants anybody to know what's going on in their life. Why in the world would a Christian tell the whole world what's going on in their family, in their health life, whatever? Uh, why would someone ask or request that a particular thing, crisis, problem, joy, whatever, be prayed for corporately in the church what would be the reason the motivation and why would you encourage and suggest people to do that well the truth is that we are as a church the body of christ we are one body uh, christ being our head and the rest of us uh, being all the other members of that body and uh, I know we might get embarrassed about it, but the truth is, uh, and I know Luther said this, and it gets quoted a lot today uh, in our modern Lutheran church, if I am getting up in the middle of the night because uh, I hear a noise or I uh, need to go get a drink of water, walk through the doorway and I bump my toe on uh, something that I didn't see there, my littlest toe, I kick something, how does the rest of my body respond? It. Uh, Ouch. Yeah. It's not like it just ignores the pain in my little toe. My knees buckle, my waist bends forward, my hands grab my toe and rub it, my mouth screams out in the darkness, my face cringes. The whole body together hurts with the little toe to support it and care for it in that time of need. The same sort of thing is true in our prayers. When uh, one of our members in church is having an issue, the rest of us are able to show compassion, uh, share in that burden, pray for that person in that need, support them and uh, help them in their time of trouble. And that is part of the corporate nature of prayer is that we are the body of Christ and we're all in this together, to use the colloquial term. Uh, and so that's a, that's a big factor and that's why we should encourage people to bring their prayers to the church when uh, when churches get large this uh, this can be almost burdensome to have 10 15 20 pages or minutes of prayers and so the larger the church the smaller the amount of general prayers the smaller the church the larger the amount of 
general prayers, uh, specific petitions that have come forth. That's what I've noticed anyway. And I think that tells us quite a bit about the nature of the people of God in the corporate worship. Are we there primarily for ourselves, or do we see this as the body of Christ together receiving the gifts of God. If we see the corporate church as that body of Christ, whether we're a little toe or a little finger, or we think we're a big shot and we're like an eye or an ear or a nose or a mouth, we are all together. We are all one body. And that understanding, and we need to repent if we think it's all about me, and that understanding of that corporate nature of church will overflow into a healthy corporate prayer life. Are you buying that? I, I am. And in fact, in North Dakota, that's one of the things that we were trying to push in our circuit and uh, uh, that we are one church, actually. I know lots of times we like to be congregationalists and think of ourselves as islands unto ourselves. We are good shepherd. And so we pray for good shepherd people. The truth is we are part of the one Christian church, the Holy Catholic Church, if you will, uh, that we talk about in the creed. And so we ought to be able to pray for people outside of our own congregation that are in need, uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we ought to pray for fellow congregations when they have a problem that arises. And uh, oftentimes we don't see ourselves as part of that bigger picture. Uh, and that's shameful, and that's a result of our sin. Uh, we ought to be united together as the body of Christ. Now, unfortunately, there's some results of sin that uh, make that very, very difficult in our modern age. And for those things that do separate us, we ought to repent so long as uh, whoever's going against what God's Word says is able to actually see that and truly repent. Well said, and we need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to try to take everything that we have talked about in this program and apply this to a more personal, individual prayer life and prayer piety. Don't change that dial. At home in your hymnal. We'll be right back. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is episode 24. We've devoted this entire episode to a theology and practice of prayer. In our first part, we talked about a kind of a general overarching theology of prayer. We then moved on talking about the nature of prayer. Prayer is an act of worship, how that uh, worship looks uh corporately and individually. In our third segment, we look completely at the corporate prayers of the church and uh, that admonition from God in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, about what we should pray for and who we should pray for. And now in this last segment, I want to I take everything that we've talked about so far, Pastor, and I want to distill this down you know, so many times we talk about, you know, what we do in our corporate worship service. We're there for an hour or two a week. 
we hear the word of God, we are filled with the love of God, with the grace of God, and then we move out into our vocation, we move out, move out into the world, and we put in practice everything that God has given us. Uh, some people would say that we get our bucket filled, and then we go out into the world, and then by the end of the week, or after a few days, our bucket is empty, and so we need to come in and get filled again. Uh, Every analogy breaks down at some point, but that's not a bad one. That's not a bad one. We're talking about our vocation here. Before, before we look at some of those specific things with an, with an individual prayer piety, I want to ask you just a general question about prayer, one that I've heard more times than I'd care to admit. Uh, people don't want to pray. They don't see the need for it. Uh, they think it's kind of a waste. You, we've heard this on the news quite a bit here lately, you know, when some tragedy happens and then a politician says, uh, well, let's send out our thoughts and prayers. And then people say, I don't want your thoughts and prayers. That's meaningless. Uh, yeah, you've got this thing going on, you know, um, in Washington and in Hollywood as well. The simple question is this, Pastor, if God really knows everything, why do I need to pray? Doesn't he know that I'm hurting? Doesn't he know that I'm celebrating? Doesn't he know what needs to be done? Am I like like telling God what to do? Is God like, uh, am I the puppet master and God is a puppet? And if I can pray enough or get enough people on the email pray list that I can manipulate God? If God knows everything, why do I pray? Yeah, or even... Uh the Facebook uh, or Twitter thing, you know, uh, if you're going to pray this, forward it to 10 people so they can pray it too or whatever, and then it'll come true. Yeah, well, that doesn't bother me as much as if you don't forward this to 10 people, bad things will happen to you. Uh, the, those those just make me sick to my stomach. The, uh, the truth is God is not um, manipulated by our prayers. He does know all the things going on, and yet... Um, part of our confession, the fruit of our faith, if, if prayer is the voice of faith, why would we not talk to God about the things going on, especially because then it is for our benefit so that we might actually understand how God promises to work and what things God promises to do. This is why the prayer for winning the lottery is such a bad prayer. Can we, can we ask God about it? Are we going to get God to let us win if we pray about it the right way? Well, where in Scripture does God promise that that will come true for you? Where does God promise that uh, if you need it, I'll give you a, a winning lottery ticket or make you rich? Uh, this is even the question, you know, Tevya in the, uh, the Fiddler on the Roof, he says, you know, why is it so hard to allow me to be a wealthy man, God? And that's his prayer. That's a bad prayer because God doesn't promise those things. And so when we pray, even though God already knows what we're praying for, it's partly teaching us to look for God's care where he actually promises to give that prayer in his word, in his sacraments, to provide for our needs of body and soul, uh, clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that we need to support our life, and then also to send his Holy Spirit to create and sustain faith in us. Those are the things kind of laid out for us in the creed, uh, believe it or not, that we ought to actually pray for from God. I think it's helpful here too, Pastor, and thank you. Excellent response. I think it's helpful to look at prayer in the uh, Lutheran lens of law and gospel. Uh, 
God does command us to pray. He says, pray, pray without ceasing. When you pray, pray like this. He doesn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. And so God commands us to pray. And at the same time, embedded in God's command to prayer is the gospel promise that he will hear our prayers, that he will receive our prayers, that he will respond to our prayers. And so it is law and gospel in action in the life of a believer. Um, thoughts on that? And, and yeah, to even add to that, go back to what I used as an analogy earlier, husband and a wife. Um, husband, when you see that your wife is angry, you know something's going on. And yet um, you still have to have the conversation about it, right? You know, are you, are you mad? Maybe that's not the best way to ask, but uh, say what's going on that you're <laughs> you're frustrated about this. To have the conversation, to talk back and forth, so that uh, there is communication that there that's there, and that's part of relationship. So yes, God does know what's going on, um, and maybe He knows that you're mad at Him, but you still need to have the conversation there to uh, talk about it, and and hopefully then to bring it to a resolution. Uh, by also hearing God speak back to you in the scripture uh, through your called and ordained installed pastor uh, and then also uh, in the, the scripture readings, the sermon, the liturgy, the hymns, and all the life of the church as well. Well said, well said. Pastor, um, the average John Q. Christian, John Q. Lutheran, or Mary, Mary Mary A. Lutheran, uh, I guess that yeah you'll marry yeah tell that to your son Gabriel. I, I tell uh, my kids all the time <laughs> when somebody asks you on a date. The first question is, "Are you a Lutheran?" <laughs> Second question is, "What kind?" The third question is, "How do you subscribe to the Book of Concord?" So, <laughs> yeah, how old is Gabriel? He is five. Yeah, so okay, that tells you something about the uh, home life at the Moline House, um, Pastor. People leave church. Hopefully they are not leaving their worship life. They are leaving their religion. They are leaving their faith. And certainly we hope that they are not leaving their prayer life behind as they walk out into the parking lot. What are some practical ways for the individual Christian to take what he has or she has received in that divine service, in that corporate worship service, and help that, use that to help form and shape a personal piety, a prayer life uh, for both an individual and a family. And maybe, maybe, Pastor, the way to address this, when I talk about God's Word forming our piety, what in the world am I talking about? Yeah, and I guess the question you're really asking is, how do I get myself to pray? Because I really struggle with it at home, right? Yeah. And um, the first way that I would suggest to you to learn to pray is to study God's Word, especially if you want to learn how to pray study the Psalms because Psalms have a lot of prayers, you know, Oh Lord, my enemies surround me. Where are you? How can you help me? And that's teaching us how to pray. So be in the word first off, second off, um, and this is what we do in the catechism, there are some really simple prayers that you can bring into your life uh, to just get you in the habit of praying. We have the morning prayer and the evening prayer, the Lord's prayer, the table prayer. Um, do those prayers, memorize those, teach them to your kids, parents. Um, and, uh, 
they can learn it already before they can uh, even walk. Our kids were already praying the table prayer with us, uh, you know, when they were one year old. So start early, start often, uh, teach them to your kids. And you might say, well, that's just rote memorization, you know, that doesn't really mean anything. You're right. At the beginning, that's how it starts. That's how you learn to, to read. You learn the letters, you learn the words, but you don't actually know how to use them. And uh, so once they have that stuff rote memorized, then you can also learn through those prayers what things you ought to be asking for and how to ask and what to communicate with God and what to say to God. And it builds and it builds and it builds as you continue to be in prayer uh, and scriptures. And so that's kind of the way I would go about it, um, how to study, how to pray. Luther has a good pamphlet on this. John the Barber, Bill the Barber, Peter the Barber, Peter the Barber, uh, a letter to Peter the Barber on how to pray. And he says, you just take the scripture and you pray that. So uh, Psalm 130, uh, out of the depths of wool, I cry unto you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my prayer, hear my supplication. And you can take that and you can say, Lord, you know, I really am in a dark spot today. I feel like I'm at the bottom of the depths. Uh, Here's what's going on. Uh, I know you promised to hear my supplications. So here's what I would like you to do. And as you are in the word, and in prayer, uh, it grows and grows and grows through the work of the Holy Spirit. And what you describe beautifully there, that rhythm and flow, reading the Word of God and having your prayers flow from that, that's exactly the same rhythm and flow that we've talked about in the divine service. So it's allowing that rhythm and flow, God's love, our response, His Word, our response. It's allowing that rhythm and flow to take shape in your personal life, in your family life, in your... uh, you know, extended family life, whatever, in that respect. Here at Good Shepherd, we have a worship insert in our bulletin each week that has the readings for the day. Take them home. You can use those readings for the whole week. There's the general prayer of the day, that uh, that collect, and there are other things. You can just immerse yourself in that part of God's Word. Uh, we, and I know many churches out there, have in a bulletin of some kind or online a list of people that have asked for prayer requests, um, you know, Take some time and pray for one or two or all of those folks that are there. If you don't know who they are, you might be prompted to make a phone call or shoot a text message or an email to find out who is this cousin of yours that we keep praying for in church. This is the body of Christ in action. In our Lutheran service book, we have many, many resources, starting on page 305 in uh, Lutheran service book, and for about the next 10 pages, we have sample, kind of like those rote memory prayers that you talked about, sample prayers to pray in many situations. On page 304, we have a table of psalms for daily prayers. Before that, the 10 pages before that, we have daily readings for the whole year how you do it and the system that you use is irrelevant. To be in God's Word and have God's Word form and shape your heart so that you want to pray, not only for yourself, but to pray to the one true God who promises to hear for your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pastor. And there's uh, resources out there to help you with that besides the hymnal. You have the section, the hymnal, of course. You have uh, also um, CPH has a, 
oh, what's the name of it? The Portals of Prayer. Portals of Prayer. They also have a big uh, leather-bound book that has both a scripture reading, a reading from a father of the church, and then also... Treasury of Daily Treasury Prayer. Treasury of Daily Prayer. Stark's, Brian, Stark's Prayer Book Stark, has just been reprinted, and it's not bad. Brian Wolfmuller on his website has a, a week in, week out. It has a hymn and a prayer, uh, things to pray for each day that you can do. So there's lots of resources out there. Ask your pastor about They're happy to help you. Um, and uh, we pray that God would move the people of God to be a people in prayer. Prayer to the one true God in joyous obedience and response to the God who has loved us and gave himself for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is episode 24 of At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, thanks for tuning in. When we come back with episode 25, we're going to be looking at everybody's favorite topic, the offering and the offertory. God's richest blessings in Christ.